Hello, friends, and welcome back to the informal podcast located here in Butler Cabin with my friend Sam, where we are going to talk here and not show any golf shots. Sam, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. I couldn't imagine wanting to watch golf shots. Instead, I'm just going to try to make you cry for the next hour and a half. All right, ready? (laughs) (laughs) What a weekend! Oh, my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Not even Jim Nance could take away the joy of Tiger winning the Masters. Not even Jim... Not even Vern couldn't do it. Not even uh, Faldo talking about <laughs> astrology on the seventeenth hole. As Nick Tiger Faldo was. can go away. Who is Nick Faldo? I don't. I don't need Nick Faldo. If you haven't learned by now, this is now officially a golf podcast. By the way, right? This is this. This was a Titans podcast at one point, a long while back. That was a mistake. We have to admit it. <laughs> then it was a Tennessee Vols basketball podcast. Not for a some mistake. Reason. Not a mistake. <laughs> but now we we found our true calling, and this is officially. A golf podcast because I think we just witnessed the best sporting event of all time. In I mean, the, am I am I right to say that in the history of planet Earth? I mean, what tops it's, it? I mean, Braves in nineteen ninety five. Obviously, we know that that's pretty <laughs> high up there. But I was you know three years old at the time, so we're disqualifying that one. Other than that, yes, the best of all time. So I mean, to be honest with you, I was just sitting on my couch and. I, like I didn't know what to think except for like to be in awe and I'm still kind of at that moment right now where like I I don't I want to recap this on this podcast and I'm you know we're gonna try our best but you know I just don't even know where to start what to talk about because it just was all consuming inspiring unbelievable play and an unbelievable tournament and unbelievable things happening all over the course I mean, I was glued to the television all four days because all four days are interesting. You know, I mean, we talked a couple weeks ago at the match play about how it was cool to see players, you know, playing each other one-on-one. But think about how fun this afternoon was with, like, legitimately half of the field could have won this tournament. I mean, Patrick Cantlay came from, like, (laughs) Plus yeah. two on he had the he took the solo lead. He took the solo lead. Think about that. He birdied fifth. He eagled fifteen, and then he he proceeded he to, to dunk, go bogey bogey. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was incredible. Just the amount of competitors that were in the field and could have had a chance to win. I mean, you, you start off on Thursday with the Shambo and Kepka just. Posting rounds, what were they? Six under seven? I think, it was I think seven DeShambo under. shot a sixty-five. Yeah, I mean, early in the day, those guys were finishing at like plus or minus three, the leaders, and you thought, okay, this is going to be a little slow start, and then all of a sudden, those guys just go out and fire rounds. Um, you know, finish seven under sixty. I think it was sixty-six or sixty-five. Is crazy, and then DeShambo just blew up. I mean, he besides, you know. Ace number 16 on Sunday. He didn't do which was sick, the by rest the way. Of the weekend. That's what he gets for yeah. wearing that weird term- hat, though. His I mean, terminal velocity was correct on that <laughs> sh- on that shot. Come back to um, us with the hat, DeShambo. I'm not I'm not feeling the Peaky Blinders hat. You're not driving a cab anytime soon. <laughs> you're so not you driving a cab free. and you don't have a razor blade under there, so get that <laughs> hat off. <laughs> it's like that that spectator that ran on the field. <laughs> that guy um, can wear that hat, but not DeShambo. Then, then you go to Friday where so much happened. We can, we'll get into all that, but you've got like Zach seven Johnson. guys. 
So, yeah, Zach Johnson <laughs> happened. You've got seven guys tied for the lead on Friday. Then Saturday where Cat makes his push, but Molinari's beating him by two. He's at 13 under. If Molinari didn't even play on Sunday. He would have gone into a playoff. And so you think, man, you got him. You got Finau. But then it was like sort of a little gap. Like you didn't think anybody else would really be in contention. But, man, Sunday was something really, really, really special. And – I don't even know, like I said, where to start, you know, recapping this, but I guess we got to just start with the man, Tiger. Tiger won his 15th major and his 81st PGA Tour event. Sounds right to me. Think about that. It's crazy. I mean, so I was, I want to reference this Twitter account a couple times in this podcast, but follow this account called Data Golf. Um, they do a great job. They they had a, a, a predictability model going up through this entire this entire weekend, pretty much showing who has the best chance to win in real time. So I mean, obviously that changes a lot. Like at one point, Molinari had like a you know fifty percent chance to win on the front nine whenever he was three when he whenever he went back three up, and Tiger had like an eight percent chance to win. But anyways, it it, it showed. Tigers, they've, they've got a, a model here that showed Tigers wins compared to how many PGA Tour events he's played compared to guys like Mickelson, um, Vijay Singh, who has a ton of PGA Tour events, tour event wins, Rory, Spieth. Um, yeah, just a lot of guys. And it is incredible how quickly Tiger racked up these. I mean, obviously he has way more than any of these guys. But it is just insane how many more wins and how he's played like almost half the events Phil has played. I mean, think about that. He basically took 10 years off. I mean, in terms of playing full time golf, like he went from what, the end of 2008 until last year without playing full time golf. I mean, what, 2013, he came back and played most of that season and played well. But I mean, he missed an entire decade of his career. He did all that winning. In what, like twelve years, he had fourteen yes. majors by age what thirty two or thirty three. That's insane. And then he just goes I mean, ten years with nothing. Well, so I learned this that he won five times in two thousand thirteen. Can I've, you believe? I, do you remember him winning any time yeah. other than two thousand and eight? I remember there was like a brief moment where he got back to number one in the world, and it was a big deal. And then he started having all his injuries, and he. What was it like? Every tournament he played, he he had to withdraw from there for like a long time. It was like Tiger would come back and it'd be the a big deal. It'd be the first thing on Sports Center they talk about. He'd play like the first nine holes on Thursday. He'd bogey four or five of them, and then he'd withdraw from the tournament. It seemed like that happened fifteen times there for a little while. But I do remember him being number one in the world after his all the the stuff started to happen. But I didn't remember all the tournament wins. No. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all that, but. I mean, it's it's just what he's done has been simply remarkable from an athletic perspective. Um, yeah, so going into Friday, or af- I'm sorry, after Friday, Jason Day, Kepka, and Molinari were tied at seven under, and each of them had around a nine percent chance to win. Dustin Johnson was six under. They actually predicted him as the favorite just from you know scoring ability and stuff like that. And then all everything breaks loose on Saturday and of course it, it jumped up and Molinari had a 38% chance to win going into Sunday. I mean, that is statistically 
numerical based, right? Like that's doesn't take any emotions, doesn't take anything in the course into consideration. It's just going into Sunday, he had a 38% chance to win with Woods second at 17%. And so we get to 12, right? I, I guess that, that's where we need. So Molinari gets up and down from everywhere on the front nine, right? Like he's, he's getting up and down from short-sighted spots all over the course. Like on six, they tuck that pin in the back right on the par three, and he just tries to knock down the flag and goes into this danger zone and into the gallery of patrons and gets up and up and down short sided, which was just incredible. He looked unflappable, but at the same time, it's like, man, he's missing a lot, right? And he had been so steady with this play. So actually, Kepka and who was it? Poulter, um, I think Kepka and Poulter, I think, were playing in front of Tiger. And so when they got to six or when they got to 12, both of those guys hit it into the water. And it, it wasn't one of those things where it seemed like nerves played a role, but it just seemed like they thought they hit the right shot and it was short. So Tiger had the, you know, the lucky break of going last on 12. So Molinari hits it into the water and then Finau hits it into the water. And it's like, oh my gosh, this feels like Jordan Spieth all over again. At that point was really the point where I was like, man, Tiger could actually win this. And I just started going nuts. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to answer the question and then I'm going to let you answer the question. You might've already answered it, but when, at what point, either on Saturday or Sunday, did you actually think Tiger was going to win? Because for me, it was that shot at 12 and I didn't get to watch they had to move the tournament up. So I didn't get to watch as much of the front nine as I had. I watched every shot on Saturday and pretty much every shot of the back nine on Sunday. But on on 12, when Molinari went in the water, and then Tiger just didn't even go anywhere near that pin. He hit it 40 feet to the left and just put it in the center of the green and made his two putt. That's when I, I actually realized Tiger had a chance. Before that, I didn't believe it. We talked about it on Saturday night, you and I, that it just felt like Tiger was going to get close and Molinari was going to win because he was just playing so well. I mean, he was hitting every shot, every single hole. He was hitting it down the fairway. He was putting it in a good spot on the green, and he's either making a birdie putt or two-putting for par. Every single hole on Saturday, Molinari was just nails. And then for him to, to leave that shot on 12 short was unbelievable to me. I mean, it was right at it. It was like he, he was a full club length short. And then Tiger... Right. Had, I guess I guess you call it the experience of playing that course so many times, knew not to go after that pin. He just hit it to the middle and took his par and tied it up. And at that point, it was like, okay, he really he really is going to win this. And then on 16, obviously, that shot on 16 was incredible. I thought it was going in. His shot on the par three. Think 16. about if that, th- if, if that, okay, the shot it, that happened was incredible. Him hitting it to two feet or whatever. And Kepka being on 17 about to tee off. And he have, he has to stop because the roar is so loud, if the ball would have actually went in, I think the tournament's just over. I just don't think you play golf anymore. I think you end the sport. <laughs> it's completely over. They bring, they and, bring the green jacket out to Vern to wa- present. Walk it out to the 16th green, hand it to him there. Everybody just pack your clubs up and go home. Because if, that, if he would have made a hole-in-one right there, that would have been it. You're never topping that. You may never top it anyway. But I, it was incredible. But for me, on number 12, that's when I thought Tiger actually had a chance. Is it the same for you, or are you more optimistic than me? Did you believe it earlier? So, like, there's a fine line between, like, thinking like, he's going to win this. Like, he, I, I 
and being and, and th- sitting there thinking, you know what, I I I think he's going to win. Like it's I, I for the longest time I was like he could definitely win this. He could definitely win this, and that was like on Saturday and on Sunday on the front nine. But he couldn't like get a rhythm going on the front. He would birdie and then he bogeyed a couple holes. And on nine, he had this putt that just like dribbled down. It was rolling for like at least a minute and a half. And I mean, once he got to 10 and he got to 11, one thing we need to talk about is every time he hit it into the woods, it's like he had a little guy there placing it perfect where he had a window. That's the most vintage Tiger thing of all time. I mean, we can talk about here in a little while whether we, you know, what this means for Tiger moving forward, but the the most vintage tiger thing that happened this weekend was every time he hit it into the trees he had a perfect window to the green because back in 2007 2008 when he was winning all his tournaments he was spraying drives everywhere i mean we talked about it before we came on the pod that that what 2008 us open against rocco when they had to play a full full uh, what matt tiebreaker 18 holes that they do at the us right. open for whatever reason that whole 18 on monday he was in the trees the whole time, but he would hit it in the trees and then they'd find his ball and make, Oh look, you've got a perfect view of the green and he'd hit it on the green and make a birdie. That's vintage tiger. I don't know how he's done it for 20 years. He doesn't have to hit the fairway. He doesn't have to because he's, I just assume that the patrons are looking out and CBS is looking out by not putting them on TV when they're moving his ball to a good spot. That's all I can figure because I have never once hit it into the trees and had any kind of look at a green anywhere. Not that I would hit the shot anyway, but it's unbelievable. It really is. And it's been a whole career. It's not like he just got lucky this weekend. It always happens. It's It, it does always happen, and he always has a shot. But the thing is, when he has a window, like when he has that shot, it's a lot of times not straight on. He has to make stuff happen. Oh, and he that. always sticks it, too. He always sticks it. And he it. always sticks. Like on 14 on Friday, whenever the, the security guard came and, and slipped oh, yeah. on. Oh, straight red um, card for the security guard. Save it for the <laughs> soccer podcast. The window he fit that through was, you know, maybe five square feet. And he just threaded it through there and, and made birdie. I mean, it was incredible. Like, if I do that, I'm hitting a tree and it's hitting a patron or I don't know. I mean, obviously, no, um, no, if Tiger's I do got that, substantially greater golf game than I no, do. But if, if I do that, I'm hitting that shot exactly like he did and then missing the six-footer, probably three-putting it for bogey. That's, that's a window into my golf game. I would make the incredible so, shot and then miss the four-foot putt. So for me, when I knew Tiger Woods was going to win the Masters, is on 15 whenever he hit it on the green in two. Because I knew at that point he had to make one more birdie because the guys ahead of him were, I guess Kepka was, was no, Kepka, Kepka doubled 12 and then eagled 13. <laughs> That's the most Brooks Kepka thing ever, too. Right? He's like, so, I, don't, I don't care. I hit this ball in the water. I'm going to stripe a 350-yard drive and make eagle on the next hole anyway. So who cares? I, I saw a stat where Kepka this year or this week on par fives, he had like 12 birdies, two eagles, a double, and two pars. Like he played them in like something stupid, like 10 under or something yeah, crazy. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, Tiger knew he needed to make a birdie there and he just stuck it. Like, I mean, that's such a dangerous hole because it's got a false front. So, if you go short, then it's going into the water, and then like you just lost the tournament pretty much if you go in the water right there. And if you go long, it's going to be a tough up and down, and that's really your last birdie hole that you know you've got a chance at. So, I mean, it's whenever he hit that on the green and stuffed it, I, I knew he was going to two putt, and I felt like he had it. That that's when I knew okay, 
this is really happening. And then after the shot on 16, it was, you know, that's, it was over. that's when it was over. I mean, and then he the, stepped up on 17 and just dialed that drive right down the, right down the center. I mean, he just crushed a butter cut, right? And it's like, all right, it's, there's no nerves. There's no, you know, just no choke job coming. He's got this absolutely intact. Well, I mean, imagine what he's feeling like in that moment, because you know that after, after 16, after he birdied 16, he had to know that a par par wins the Masters, right? He knows that as long as he doesn't screw up, he's going to win the Masters. He's going to, all that effort, all that work, all those surgeries, all that embarrassment, all the shame that's been over the last decade of his life, if he just makes two pars, he's all the way back. And for him to step up and just hit the two, two drives right down the middle, really, on 17 yeah. and 18, it's, I mean, that's, that's peak Tiger, you know, because it, anyone, if you had 80% of Tiger's intestinal fortitude, I mean, you're probably duck hooking one of those into the trees, right? <laughs> or Jordan Spieth in it. Yeah. Or you're, I mean, you know, if, I, if it was one of us, we're not, not making it to the ladies tees, but even professionals, like I could have seen Tiger stepping up on 17 and just blasting that drive to the right, you know, 60 yards to the right, like he did on 14. Like he did, you know, a, a few times yesterday, but he didn't. He, I mean, just right down the middle, and then you knew. I mean, it was over. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable performance. So Molinari fully oh, yeah, blew we probably up got, we on the 12th and in the 15th. So he was a robot until this, until this last round, like we said. But when he was going to this Sunday, I thought he was absolutely going to hold Tiger off because he's been playing some of the best golf in the world past year. And he went 5-0 and in the Ryder Cup this year. He won the Open Championship last year. So, I mean, he's got experience. He's not some scrub that just sort of fell into the lead at the Masters. I mean, he knows how to hold a lead. He knows how to win a tournament. One of us and picked him to win the tournament. One of us did. <laughs> oh, not, well. And one of us also <laughs> picked the guy that finished minus four. Um, <laughs> Was that me too? <laughs> no. uh, I'm trying to so, pull this up here, but go ahead. Keep talking. So, yeah. So Molinari, I mean, he just, he, he didn't really look flustered. I mean, even the shot on 15, when it went into the water, it's because it hit a tree. It's not because he chunked it or anything. Like, I, I just think that he made a couple of bad shots. Like, I don't, I don't think the moment was too big for him, honestly. I just think he made a couple of bad shots. What do you think? Really, it was one bad shot. I mean, he wasn't. He didn't play his best on Sunday. I texted you. I think it was either Thursday or Friday, like during the middle of the day, early on. I texted you and I said Francisco Molinari is going to win the Masters, just because he was so. I mean, I talked about it earlier. He was just so dialed in, and even on on Saturday night, he had a two shot lead on Tiger, and you could you could have told yourself Tiger is going to shoot you know a sixty eight or a sixty seven even go five under. But it just felt like whatever Tiger shot, Molinari was just going to shoot one shot better. Like he hadn't. I think I think I saw a stat where he had made one bogey through the first three holes or th- first three rounds of the tournament, which is insane yeah. on that course. He wasn't he wasn't doing the Tony Finau thing where he made like seven birdies in a row or anything like that. He wasn't out driving everybody. He wasn't holing a bunch of ridiculous putts. He was just playing perfect golf. He was birdieing when he could and parring when he couldn't, and he was never making any mistakes. And then for him to hit that shot on 12 on the par three, really it was that shot. Because if even if he blasts that over into the bunker and takes a bogey there, 
he still probably wins the Masters because he's still got a lead on Tiger. Even when Tiger, you know, birdies 13 right after that, I think I think Molinari birdied that hole too. I mean, he, if that ball doesn't go in the water, I think he wins. So it comes down to one shot. And for him to have that right. one bad shot in that moment after a full three and a half rounds with no bad shots, you know, it was unbelievable to me. It was just that one shot. I really thought that he was he was the best golfer on the course up to that point. And that one shot just knocked him off track. He was surgical up to that point. So he was, like you said, in the position where he could have sat back, played really conservative, parred all holes, and just tried to birdie the par fives. And if he would have been like three under on par fives, obviously he would have won the tournament by three strokes, right? If he would have parred everything else. Pretty much what he had done the entire tournament. So, I mean... (laughs) He had a bad round. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was the Tiger effect or not. I mean, he um, shot plus two on Sunday. You know, he when we were talking about it earlier in the week, I said I think he's going to win because he's just going to post like three or four rounds of like three or four under. He's not going to shoot a sixty-five. He's not going to do anything remarkable, but he's just going to be. He's going to shoot four rounds in in the high sixties, and he's going to win. And he did that until the back nine on Sunday. And I guess I guess you could say he fell apart. Is this let's get a little takey. Is this what were Molinari specifically and to a lesser extent Xander Shoffley, did they cave under the the pressure of Tiger, under the moment of Tiger? You used to hear about that all the time when Tiger was at his peak. Guys would just wilt and fall away on the back nine of these major tournaments. Is that what happened? Or is it just, you know, a couple of bad shots here and there from two guys who well, Molinari's won a major, but Shoffley is a young guy who's never actually been there. So I think with Molinari, it was it was Tiger. I really do. Well, he's playing in the group with him, too. You know, he's right, watching every shot. Know. So with Shoffley, Shoffley got up there on the leaderboard on Saturday, too, and wilted. I, I just think the, the moment was a little bit too big for him. He has, you know, yet to win a major championship, and I think he will eventually. He's a really, really good player, but I think for him – it was just like the whole moment of like possibly winning the Masters was too big for him. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think with Molinari, it, it really was. And Finau, Finau moment was just a little bit too big too. I mean, I, I think mean, he'll have a chance in some majors, but um, I don't think Finau and, and Shoffley are, you know, really experienced enough to, um, you know, c- competed in that environment. I think – and you obviously have watched a lot more golf than me. I became a golf fan two weeks ago, and I've you know I've I've dove in with two feet here. But tell me if I'm off base here. It seemed to me, at least watching for the last couple of weeks, that Shoffley and Finau, they're similar age range, and they're similar in terms of where they finish on this leaderboard specifically. Shoffley just seems like a better golfer to me. Like it never felt like Tony Finau was going to win the tournament. Even when he throws up a 64 on Saturday or 64, 65, whatever it was, and was in the last group with Tiger and Molinari, it, I never thought Tony Finau was going to win the tournament. And Shoffley, he had two, two bogeys at the end on Saturday. I think he bogeyed at 16 and 18 or something like that and then did the same thing again on Sunday. If he just pars one of those holes, he's in, in a playoff. I felt like he right. was he was a real threat to win the tournament, whereas Finau, I felt like he got real hot on Saturday, but he just wasn't – I was never worried about him. If, if I'm a Tiger fan, I was never worried about Tony Finau. I was worried about Molinari sure. and Shoffley and Kepka and then DJ, who came out of nowhere. I thought DJ was dead 
and I look up at the they, end and DJ they're they're interviewing DJ and Butler Cabin like you know if Tiger bogeys you're going out to to have a playoff I was like what where did D- they didn't show one DJ shot all weekend and he just came out of nowhere that's the quietest tied for second 12 under at the Masters I've ever seen it was unbelievable yeah he was on he was under par every single round he he you know he I thought he played really really well too um, but yeah it just seemed like Finau. I mean, I haven't watched, you know, every Tony Finau round of his life, but it seemed like Finau is just more of a streaky player. And he'll get hot and shoot 63-64, but he also can go through stretches where, you know, he has a a tougher time, you know, getting up and down and just managing the golf course, really. Shoffley seemed really apt to to get out of trouble um, and, you know, make putts when he needed to. Um, Just seemed to, like, hang with it more, you know. I, I don't know if... Yeah, I definitely think what what you're saying is is true. I don't know if he's a, I, if you're picking one guy to go low one day, I would go with Finau. But you know the total overall game management aspect of it, I'd, I'd I'd probably go Xander, like you said. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of other golf that we're going to talk about, but first, I've got I want before we move on from this, I got to ask you this, this one question. And this, we could go a lot of different ways with this. I've got a specific answer, but I'll let you go first. Of all the things that happened this weekend, specifically on Sunday, with, with Tiger coming all the way back, with him finally winning after everything that he's been through, it's well documented. What was your favorite moment of the weekend? And, and make, I'm, I'm sure you're going to say something about Tiger, but make it Tiger-centric. Like, what was your favorite part? of the weekend as just as a sport fan, what was the thing you enjoyed watching the most? That's a hard, that's a loaded question. You, I can go first so, if you want me to. No, I've no. I, it, but. Okay. Um, I think my favorite moment of the weekend was a shot on 16. Uh, I, I just think like you at that point, like I said, after 15, I just I knew he was going to win. Like everybody just knew he was going to win. He was in a spot where unless Kepka, you know, birdie in one of the last two, or really both of the last two, he was, you know, in, in this Tiger just had the whole serve pretty much. And to see him after he birdied 15 to go one up and have the solo lead with three holes left to play in the Masters – and just hit the incredible, incredible shot on 16. Have Michael Phelps behind him just, just cheering him on. <laughs> That's crazy Seeing him go, too, come on, way. come on, come on, come on, come on, about 100 times. And that ball just rolling towards the hole. It, I felt like it was just like accumulation of the entire event, like of, of an entire, you know, I guess five years, six years of him, you know, going through these trials and stuff. It, it just was like... Man, it that that was just I was speechless watching that specific moment. Like it was obviously really cool seeing him, you know, hug his kids where he hugged his dad. You know, they made a big deal about that. Um, that you know, Nance tried to get him to cry. You know, and, come on, and come back Cabin to us, Nance, per usual. But yeah, for me, it was a shot on sixteen. That's a fantastic one, and I think my favorite part of that shot was the clip of of Kepka who was teeing off on 17. I think I said this earlier, but the roar goes up. He has yes. to back off his ball. And you can see down to the 16th green from 17T. And he just he sees what Tiger did. Everyone, I mean, the picture from 16 green looking back up at the tee box is incredible because there's a billion people back there. And 
not only are all those people there, but everybody who's sitting on 17T is also now turned around in their chairs watching, you know, nobody's paying any attention to Brooks Kepka anymore. And he's got to step up and hit a drive, which that, you know, that says something about him as a golfer too, but I, and he piped it. Yeah. I just hit it right down the middle. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) incredible. My favorite, my favorite moment of the whole thing was after tiger comes off, he lets out the roar, you know, it's just the emotional release. He goes over, he hugs his kids, he hugs his family. That's cool. I got a lot of pub. What I didn't see a lot of people talk about that really stood out to me was when he gets back to the clubhouse and all the players are standing there waiting on him to get there. I mean, it gives me chills just mm. thinking about it. Like the the level of respect that those guys have for him because you look at the guys that are standing there, right? It's it's JT, it's Shoffley, it's Fleetwood. It's all these guys who are like, 24 25 26 years old that were preteens and teenagers when tiger was really in his prime these are guys that watched him when he was at his best and he probably had a huge influence on them to you know go into golf and try to become they wanted to be like tiger when they were kids right and now they're there they're the best players in the world but they're still watching tiger make this comeback and win this tournament and they're all standing out there waiting on him to get there it's incredible like it it gives me chills thinking about it every time. I don't know why. I guess it's just the level of respect that they have for him. Even though he's their peer now, he's still he's like he's like the reason they're all there, right? If Tiger doesn't happen, does Jordan Spieth happen? Does Justin Thomas happen? You know, to I guess to a lesser extent, Bubba Watson. He's a little bit older, but it's like Tiger birthed this entire generation of golfers, and to, for them to all be standing out there waiting on him to get there to congratulate him was incredible to me. It was, I mean. Top five sports moments of all time, without a doubt. Right. So, I mean, just to summarize everything that he went through since 08, like he tore his ACL, right, and had surgery on it. He that That's right after he won his last major, that U.S. Open, the Rocco Media major, uh, major that you were talking about. Um, he, uh, he tore his Achilles and had surgery. He had an inflamed facet joint in his neck. He had an MCL sprain and strained his other Achilles, four back surgeries, a back fusion, a public affair. A lot of his public affairs. Leaked. Yeah. Yeah. People, yeah. People forget about that. Forgot about DUI. the news. Yeah. A DUI um, where he had a pill addiction, hair loss. I guess I had to put uh, that yeah, in there. That's and, all of his, and all of his sponsors completely bailed on him. So to come back, I mean that's a it's a lot to go through in ten years. A lot of it's self inflicted too. A we lot. Say. That's what I was going to say. say. A lot of it was self self inflicted. So, I mean, I I got to ask this question: like Tiger, like the person is not um, the best, right? <laughs> like on like a lot of warts. Well, all that's self right. Yeah. Does it matter? Like rooting for him as a golfer, like how how do you manage like that balance? My this is that's a, a great question because my first question that I've got that I was going to ask you is why do we like Tiger so much? Like I understand that he was the best in the world for you know what ten or twelve years, but that was ten years ago, and even now I go into tournaments like when I even majors like I watch majors before this year. I would always watch the majors. And I would never think that I'm going to root for Tiger. Like I always, I I like Dustin Johnson for reasons I don't know why. I've always kind of been partial to Phil. I like Bubba Watson. But inevitably, if Tiger is anywhere close to contention on the weekend, I find myself rooting for Tiger. I don't know why that is. Why is it that if you go anywhere in the world today and you say something about Tiger Woods to anyone? 
they're going to know exactly what you're talking about. They're going to know what happened yesterday. Even if they don't like sports, if they don't like golf, if they've never picked up a golf club, if they've never watched one minute of a golf broadcast, everyone knows what happened yesterday because it was Tiger. Why is that? Why are we as a culture so gravitated towards him? Because like you said, he's not overly charismatic. He's got a lot of public, you know, missteps. He's done, there's been a lot of negative things that have come out about his personal life. He's got a lot of warts. He's, I don't know. It's just like he's not an upstanding citizen necessarily. I mean, he, he seems like a lot different guy now. He seems like a lot more mature guy now. But personally, right. he's not someone that you should necessarily look up, look up to. So why do we love Tiger so much? I'll just I'll ask the question back to you because yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. So I've got a theory, and it may be wrong, but here's my theory. Why do you, why do you like the Tennessee Volunteers? Because you grew up in Tennessee right. and your parents like the Vols. It's the same reason why you like the Braves. It's the same reason why we like the Titans. People that like the Patriots, a lot of them, are because they're from New England. And then there's a lot of bandwagons as well. But with golf, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter, you know, who your parents grew up liking. All of these factors that contribute to our favoritism on sporting events don't apply in golf because they're single-player events, right? Like, it doesn't matter that Tiger Woods, you know, is from California, right? Like that doesn't, doesn't matter one bit. So I think part of it is he came on the scene and just was a phenomenon, right? And everybody jumped on board. And so it's like, man, everybody's rooting for this guy. Like I've got no reason not to root for him as well. Like early, you know, early in the whole Tiger Woods mania, right? And so Everybody just jumps on board bandwagon because it's not like a bandwagon. You're just rooting for the best golfer, right? Like it's, it's, um, you know, basically if why so many people over here root for like Manchester City or like Manchester United in the Premier League, they're a little soccer reference. Nice soccer ref. It doesn't matter. You can just choose a team, right? Because you have no geographical align, alignment at all. So you get caught up in this guy that's new. He hits the ball long ways. He's innovative. He's just taking it by storm and, you know, you just jump on board. And so then you get nostalgic coming back. Now it's like, man, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't love the guy. Like you said, um, you know, I I would say that like, if you ask me who my favorite golfer is, it's Rory McIlroy. But, like, if McElroy was up against Tiger this weekend, I probably would have been pulled for Tiger, which is crazy to think about. It's insane. But and it doesn't... I don't, know, that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of my thinking behind it all. No, intellectually, I hear you, and I agree with you, because the only reason that I would watch golf in, say, 2006 or 2005 is because I wanted to see Tiger, right? But my personality, I don't want to just root for the best guy. Like, I don't want to root for the Patriots because they win every year. Or I don't want to root for Manchester City because they win every year. I picked Swansea when I picked my Premier League team, and they got relegated, okay? This is, I enjoy pain in my sports fandom, right? <laughs> I'm a Vols fan. I'm, it's in my DNA. So I, I hear you, and I, I agree with you to a certain extent. But on the other hand, I'll make like our 15th reference to the 2008 U.S. Open. When he's playing 
literally head-to-head with Rocco Mediate, who I had never heard of before that weekend, who was like 50 years old and like dumpy and not good, but somehow he was tied with Tiger at the end of the U.S. Open. And he came out on Monday wearing the exact same red, black, red that Tiger wears just to like put it in Tiger's face. <laughs> I like, forgot he did that. Like, that is the guy I should be rooting for. Like He's the consummate underdog. He's just putting it in Tiger's face, the best golfer of a generation. He's like, I, I know you're better than me, but I'm going to beat you. That's the guy I would root for. Yet when it's coming down 18, I'm rooting for Tiger to win. I have no idea why that is. That makes no sense to me. It doesn't jive with anything else in my fandom, and it's completely – oh, did you knock your mic off the table? No, it's good. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep rolling. It, I, I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you're listening to this podcast and you have a decent reason why we all like Tiger, even though it's against our better judgment to like him, please call and leave us a voicemail and we'll play it at some point. We're, we've got some voicemails. We got some stacked up. We will play them eventually, but call and let us yes, know we do. because I don't. We're know. Waiting for, I'm, I'm waiting for a couple more. Yeah, yeah. we're getting close. I, I we think, gotta have enough for a whole episode, but that's beside the point. I don't. It's yeah. You go ahead because I don't know. I'm at a loss. So I've got one other reason why I think so many people jump on board, and I think that's because he is a larger than life picture of our own golf games in the sense that. He is not Molinari who drives the ball, you know, in the center of the fairway, hits it on and two putts every green, and then he'll make a birdie every now and then. I mean, Tiger off the tee could either be, you know, swing as hard as he can and crush it down the middle, or it could be 50 yards right in the other fairway. And his, he, like, he, he plays the same type of golf that you and I play, just way better. Yeah, much like, better, you, but yeah, similar style. Like his style of golf is extremely relatable, and now I I get that. Like I'm not saying that I play the same type of golf as Tiger does. What I'm saying is, in general, he misses fairways and he pulls off ridiculous shots that like I wish I could pull off. You know, like he's not just fairway and regulation, green and regulation, two putt. You know, I mean, there's times he is, but most of the time you like. He'll he'll take the lead and then he'll hit it in the trees and you're like what are you doing it's so frustrating right and then he'll hit like a a snap hook you know that sticks to five feet and you just go insane right like getting to that spot's way more exciting than hitting it in the fairway and just like hitting a knockdown wedge to five feet so I think I don't know if that makes sense yeah I think you're on it I think that's the answer it's that he's so exciting you know you can watch golf and enjoy golf and not have your blood pressure go above like resting level one time. And that's, you know, part of the thing that's great about golf. You can just turn it on and enjoy it. And it's not an emotional roller coaster like most sports are, but with tiger it is, you know, it's, it's must see television. And I guess part of that is because he's so exciting. He's so, I mean, he's not as emotional now, I guess he finally let it out on 18 green yesterday, but back when he was at his peak, like he makes a putt, he's fist pumping. He's, you know, he's playing to the crowd a little bit, I guess. And maybe that's it. I really, I'm at a loss. And I guess another thing we should probably say well, while we're having this conversation is that part of it's got to be that he's one of the only golfers out there who's, you know, at least when he came up, not so much now, but when he came up in the 90s, he was pretty much the only golfer out there who wasn't like a middle aged white guy. So maybe that's part yeah. of it too, is he's just different. You know, he's different in the way he plays, he's different in the way he looks. He's he's a completely different thing from like Fred Couples and Davis Love and John Daly and all the guys who were good in the 90s. 
And maybe that's part of it too. I really don't know. It's, it's, it's well, fascinating. Let me, let me, let me segue from talking about the way he looks to the question, did he win because of or in lieu of his mock turtleneck sequence this tournament? <laughs> the, uh, the what are we calling the the mock turtleneck from Saturday? Are we going with fuchsia? Are we going with lavender, li- lilac, elderflower? It was light. light. It was, uh, it was something. I I saw him Saturday morning. I got up at like seven thirty on a Saturday to watch golf, and golf wasn't on TV. Of course, I had to like do a pirate stream on my phone or something. Which, by the way, I don't know if we're going to talk about the broadcast, but come on, can we get the Masters on before three o'clock in the afternoon? Um, but I saw him warming up on the fair on the on the range, and I thought it was pink. I was like, okay, he's going pink. Whatever. A lot of people go pink, and then he gets out on the course, and I guess the lighting's different. The sun comes out, and it's like, no, that's definitely purple. And then he's like making the turn, and it's like kind of mid afternoon, and the sun's even brighter. Like, no, that's not pink or purple. I have no idea what that was. That was weird. Uh, it was a little unsettling. The turtleneck, I guess. Go for it, man. I hate wearing turtlenecks. I feel like I'm constantly choking. But I mean, to each his own. It's better than like the. The, the collared shirt with no collar that he was wearing last year, that was rough. Yeah. But I agree. don't know. I, I couldn't do it. Well, but. here's what I'll say about it. I'm currently looking online for mock turtlenecks oh, to purchase no. to put into my wardrobe. No, you can't do that's, it. That's a fact. You can't yeah. do the turtleneck short okay. sleeve. You, come on. Let's, like, wrap up the, the Tiger coverage here. Um, I got a couple more questions for you. How many more majors can tiger woods win he's 43 he just won the masters but the honest truth is he won this tournament let me pull up this stat from data golf that i was talking about in general they'd like to look at is the quality of winning performance at the last week's tournament so Tiger gained three strokes per round over the field at the Masters. So that's like the average score of the round he was three strokes better than on average, right? Sure. And they can estimate that to 3.8 strokes better than an average PGA Tour field. So if it was – obviously there's a lot – you know, the competition was pretty stiff. So it's a little bit elevated. So for context on that – of all the winning performances on the PGA Tour since 2004, he was right in the middle. So it's not like he blew the competition away this week. And also, the major winning performances since 2004, he's on like the 20% in, um, twenty percentile of strokes gained. So it's not like he totally crushed the field. He just figured out a way to win, which in general is the way Tiger wins. So all that to say... How many more majors do you think he can win before he hangs them up? That's and takes the honorary starter role, <laughs> Mister Nicholas and Mister Player. Currently, uh, he's got a lot of work to do on the beer belly before he gets there. I mean, <laughs> come on, um, it's interesting because I could see it going like multiple different ways. I hear what you're saying about him. His performance this weekend wasn't necessarily stellar, right? Kepka did not play his best, and he still shot 12 under, which is insane. DJ played well, but there was no like vintage DJ, you know, 65 where he made, you know, plays 18 holes and 22 putts or anything like that. Spieth is not the same. Justin Thomas couldn't really put it together. Molinari kind of took a bow, took a dive on the, on the back nine and let Tiger have it. 
So I hear what you're saying there. At the same time, if you were to tell me right now that Tiger won all four majors this year, I would not say you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> it's insane, right? But it could happen. Like it, it could it, if he if he if he's Tiger, if he's back. What? Okay, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to get to 18. I don't think he's going to beat Jack because he's 43. Like, so just say in a hypothetical, he's got, I mean, you know this better than me, but what's he got? You know, maybe four or five years left where he's can. Well, Phil's 48. But Phil's not. he's still Phil, competing. Yeah, but Phil's not winning any majors anymore. I mean, Phil won a couple of tournaments, but you'd be shocked if Phil won another major, right? And maybe he wins one. I say I say Tiger's got three to four more years. Of being legitimately one of the best 10 golfers in the world. Like, you could see him being in the top 10 for three or four right. more years. Right. So if that's the if that's the frame you're viewing this through, I just don't think that he's going to get five more. I don't think he's going to get four more. I think he, I could see one. I think the over under for Tiger majors for the rest of his career is one and a half. And I think I would probably take the under. I think you got maybe one more. I think this is it. I think this is, you're going to look back at Tiger's career. And I think this is the apex. I think this is the moment. And I, you know, I, I think that, it, a lot more plays into it that the competition's a lot stiffer than it was. That's back the, when yeah, was that's all the those huge other point majors. too. Is there's a lot of great golfers out there now, right? So, yeah, I'd I'd say he may win one more. Like, um, well, well I mean, he's winning. Have, he's winning the 2022 or 2021 British Open. If you listen to the last podcast, that's been that's in stone. He's winning that one. Right, St. Like, Andrews. It's so funny. In the last podcast, we asked if he would ever win one again. I know, and he won. He it's won. unbelievable. And then he won. It's unbelievable. So I'm going to go ahead and say he maybe might win one more. So I'm crossing my fingers for the PGA here in a couple of weeks. That's good. It's like in three um, weeks. It's what's unbelievable. Your, what's your favorite Tiger memory looking back over the years? Is it the Rocco deal? I think it's got to be because that's the most vivid one. I was never, yeah. you know, I wasn't a huge golf fan as a kid, but. I I vividly remember watching that entire round, you know, and him him hitting a ball into the like he hit it so far right it was in the other fairway and he couldn't see the green at all. I don't remember if it was a huge tree in the way or the hospitality tent or what, but he couldn't see the other the the green he was aiming for and he stuck it like 3 feet away and he made that putt. I don't I mean, it's got to be that if you're not counting this weekend, but 20 years from now this you know yesterday or this weekend is going to be my the my favorite memory it's either going to be him winning yesterday that shot at 16 or it's going to be the shot on friday when he hit it through the you know three yard wide window and then got slide tackled by the security guards it's going to be one of those two if we're being honest i mean i don't want to go into like the it's recency bias i guess because it just happened but it's the most incredible thing that maybe has happened in my lifetime in golf probably and that's going to be the thing we're talking about 20 years from now. Who is the golfer this in this tournament that, you know, obviously watching a lot more golf than you have lately, who's the golfer that you saw that, like, caught your eye? Or like, man, I really like this guy. Okay, I've got, I've got a handful. I think you're leading me to one person based on conversations we've had, and I'm, I'm going to say it. One of my favorite golfers now is Hao Tung Lee. The Chinese Dustin Johnson. I don't know why. I love that guy. I watched him in the match play a couple weeks ago, and he's just so expressive and emotive. And whenever he, like, 
he's not great. Okay, he's not very good. He made the cut this week, but he I think he he finished over par. He was never in contention, but for some reason he was on the the Masters app. Uh, what do you call the featured groups? He was on the featured groups the entire right. week for some reason. I don't understand. But every time he hit a bad shot, he's just he was so dejected and so mad at himself. And I fully relate to that so <laughs> much because every time I hit a bad shot, I just want to throw my clubs into the pond. And I feel like at some point in Hao Tung Lee's life, he's thrown an entire bag of clubs into the pond. And I love that because he doesn't he's not like he's not like <laughs> Rom or Daly or even Tiger who any of those guys are more likely to scream at a, a fan than they are at themselves. And they'll scream at themselves too. But I just love the fact that he misses his shot by, you know, like 15 yards or whatever's a bad shot for these PGA guys. And he's just so mad. Like he, he three putted, I think it was on Friday and I thought he was going to start crying. I'd love that. Like, yes, give me more of that. I love that guy. I don't know why it makes no sense. I don't know if he's even like, I guess he's young. Maybe he's like an up-and-coming prospect, but I loved watching him play. It was great. He was fun to watch. I, I think, gosh, for me there's so many. I mean, I, I watch I watch these guys, you know, quite a bit. I, I love watching golf. So, you know, I, I'd say uh, the guy that, that sort of came on the scene for me is Kyrdek, Avi Bonrat. I don't know if you watched any of him, but they call him the Asian John Daly. Um just this this big Asian guy that was up there, I think, on Friday. Like he shot like uh, a sixty-seven me, or something. Yeah, this brings me to what happened on Friday. There was so much stuff that happened on Friday that just like visually was hilarious, right? Like you get the whole tiger deal where the security guard slides and takes out his foot. You got Jason Day walking around with a bad back. You Always. got Zach. You got Zach Johnson. With a practice swing, hitting his ball off the little—that's my favorite golf golf thing that's ever happened. He pr- hit a pr- took a practice swing and accidentally hit the ball, and then had to ask the rules official what he was supposed to do. I think what I'm well, learning about he was my playing sp- with Kucher could have oh, been, yeah, which could have been pretty scummy. Yeah, I can't believe Kucher let that happen. I mean, that should have been a two-stroke penalty. But anyway. I think what I've learned about myself as a golf fan is I like it when golfers do stuff that I do, like accidentally hit a ball on your practice swing. That was great. Shout out to Jack, Zach Johnson. <laughs> you had John Rahm, who was dead central in the fairway on a on a par five. I don't remember which one. I, I forgot. Maybe eight. And he just stone cold shanked it to the right. And he like he hit it and like dropped the club over his back and turned around <laughs> like, who did that? Like who 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 shanked that ball? Um, Kyrdek hit hit like a had to hit a shot around a tree and fell over backwards after he hit it. Like it, it was just it was simply like the best day of watching golf. The craziest stuff happened. Um, yeah, Friday was awesome. It's fantastic. Let me let me piggyback off your question and ask you one more question. This is moving forward, or maybe it's a macro question in general. And it's kind of getting off the Tiger conversation we've been having for 45 minutes. Who, in your opinion, is the best golfer in the world? Like if there was, I know there's no such thing as a neutral golf course. Like every golf course is going to play differently for each different player. But if it's, if all things are equal and you had to take a guy to win a tournament, a four round tournament, who would you pick? Who would, who do you think is the best golfer in the world right now? Oh, I'll let you. I, I think, yeah. Um, I think the best golfer in the world is based on like T to green is Dustin Johnson. 
I mean, he. I think last year, the year before, he led the PGA Tour in par three, par four, and par five scoring. Think about that that's for a insane. second. That's all of them. That's all the holes. Like that's that's all the holes. He's continually on the top of the leaderboard in strokes gained putting. Which, like, if putting wasn't a part of this question, I'd say McElroy. But McElroy struggles with the flat stick a little bit, and DJ just is butter with everything. Like he's his B game is is enough to win a lot of tournaments. So he only has one major. Think about that. That's the crazy Justin Johnson thing. Only won one major. Well, he should have won another one. He got a PGA Championship robbed from him about five years ago, which is really True. why. That's really why I love Dustin that Johnson happened. is because he won. He was in the in the the tent with a winning scorecard and they they banged him on some rules violation like seven holes before that's really why i like dustin johnson but it's unbelievable because i would agree with you until i think the last couple of weeks when i've really started watching more golf i would agree with you that dustin johnson is the best it's unbelievable he's only got one one major it feels like he's in the top five every single time true um all right a couple more questions i have how much better does twitter make watching a major I, I i don't know about you but like the whole time that i was watching of course i'm you know here down in florida watching it by myself and i i was just constantly scrolling through twitter and it's like i don't know how many people i follow but it's a lot of people and it seemed like every single person on my timeline was tweeting about the masters and tiger hasn't won a major since we had twitter think about that like there was no iphones last, last time Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think about, you know, that especially. And I mean, just scrolling through literally so many people bumping tweets. Um, it was just, it was a very fun environment to like look at during commercials or, you know, when they go to the Butler cabin <laughs> for 15 minutes. Um, really love that. So another question I have is, would you have rather on Sunday been in Augusta with no phone, with only the leaderboard, you know, stuck on 17 or 18 or 16 green, or at home watching all of this unfold where they showed us, you know, some golf shots. <laughs> we got a few golf shots. I think in general, it's better to watch these things from home. Like, especially football. I know we're not talking about football, but football specifically is just better on TV at home. Golf is the same way. I, I went to a tournament last year, and we had a lot of fun at the tournament, but you just don't get to watch very much golf when you're on the course because the golf course is huge, and there's people everywhere, and there's golfers everywhere, and you feel like you'd be seeing golf all the time, but really what you're seeing is a lot of other spectators who are like jostling for position, and then you see like a random guy who you don't even know who it is because it does, you don't have the CBS like name tag underneath. Like, I don't know if that's Jim Cantlay or, you know, who, Johnny Walker. I don't even know if that's a golfer. But you don't know who you're watching 90% of the time. And then they hit their shot and they move on, and you try to find a new position to watch the next group. That being said, if you could have told me that Tiger was going to win this tournament in the fashion he did, I might have paid $2,000 to go down there. Because this is the 1% sporting event where if you're there, you're telling people for the rest of your life you were there, you know? Let me tell people that anyway. A bunch of people are, you know, I mean, well, I mean, we were there. SeatGeek paid for us to go down there. Shout out to SeatGeek. Good job by you. It was incredible. But most of the time, the actual event is not going to be what we had this weekend. Most of the time it's, you know, 
Tiger's going to get close, but then Molinari's going to pull it out like we thought he was going to. And it's going to be, a, you're going to have a good time, but you're not really going to think you got your money's worth and you would have been better off staying at home. But if you could have told me Tiger was going to win, I think I would, you, being there would have been incredible. It would have been unbelievable. So, a like, lifetime yeah, memory. It would have, it would have been super cool, but golf's not the same thing as like watching a football game where you see the entire storyline unfold, right? Like if you were stuck on the 18 green, like, yeah, you would see, oh, wow, Tiger, you know, birdie 12 or Tiger pard 12 and Molinari and Finau double 12. But like, you don't know how it happened. Like all you see is Tiger, you know, Tiger's two ahead and you see him walking up 18 green, like or at 18 fairway. I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like I was able to enjoy the moment more seeing the entire storyline unfold this weekend than if I was there. Now, obviously being there would have been incredible. I may just be playing devil's advocate, but I I totally think that just being able to see, you know, everything really mattered no, for this whole storyline. You're line. definitely right. The only counter I have to that is if you knew this is how it was going to play out, then you buy tickets and you get there at 4 o'clock in the morning and you make sure that you're close enough where you can follow Tiger for his entire round. And that is when right. – that's that's the that's the best way to watch this tournament was to follow Tiger and watch every shot In the ropes. Right. Yeah. But if you, if, yeah. you, if you couldn't do that, next best thing is on the couch at home, without a doubt. So I've got – we got three more, three more questions. Um, was this the best sporting event of all time? I mean, that's it's so context based. I don't. I mean, based on storyline, probably. I guess. What are the other contenders? <laughs> like, what are the other things that that you would compare it to? Because it's so unique from any team sport or any team championship. Right. Um, I mean, I, I have no idea. It's it's one of those things that like like you think back to the 08 US Open. Like we've been talking about that a lot, but like I remember that. I remember where I was. Like we we watched that at you know at my the rental house my parents were renting at the time, and um, like I, I remember that entire day like watching that tournament and um, you know just some of the holes there. And it just was iconic because it was like such a great storyline. But like, who won? Who won the Masters four years ago? Like, yeah, that's probably I know Mike it was, Weir or something weird. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where we're gonna look back in a year and like something else may top this. You know, like it's so context based, like you said, it's so recency biased. Um, but at the same time with everything that went into this, like it's up there, like it's legitimately up there. I mean, it's, if anybody else won this tournament, we may have spent, you know, a little bit of time talking about the masters, but we'd be talking soccer or something right now, but I don't know how long we're into this and we're still talking about this tournament. Like it was, I was just sat on the couch and had no words. And honestly, like, I can't think of an event that's topped it in my lifetime. It's a if you're just talking about the most memorable sporting events, like singular sporting events that you'll remember forever. That, I mean, there's there's not anything else that that comes to mind because the only other thing that I could compare it to would be one of my favorite teams winning a championship, and that hasn't happened since I was so young that 
the only memories I have are fake memories where I've watched highlights and I've convinced myself that I actually remember it. I, I don't. Or things that happened even before I was born. You know, I remember the, I don't remember, but I think about the 1991 NLCS with, against the Braves and the Pirates. I know everything that happened in that series because I went back and watched it, but I wasn't alive for right. it. You know, that was before I was yeah. born. So I'll remember this tournament, I think, I, if, I feel like I'll remember this forever. And maybe we're looking back at this next year and a hundred other things have happened and we can't remember if Tiger won the PGA or the Masters. But I just don't think that's going to happen. Like, it's the most iconic It's the most iconic tournament in the sport and it's the most iconic player in the history of the sport, at least in terms of you and I talking about it. Like, did, so I don't know what could did, be higher. Did yesterday turn you know, major golf tournament viewers into more serious golf fans? I guess we'll find out, right? I like... Like, are are you are you more willing to turn on the RBC Heritage at Harbor Town this weekend? Absolutely. And I know Tiger won't be playing in it, but I've, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask this because my sports viewing habits are kind of weird. Like, I love baseball, and I'm going to watch baseball every night for the entire baseball season every year of my life probably. And then my second favorite sport kind of, kind of fluctuates, you know, like for a while it was football. Then it was basketball. I really love watching Steph Curry like three or four years ago. And the, you know, this past year I've been really into soccer and now I feel like the next year I'm going to be really into golf. And I don't know if that's going to stick or, or what, but I'm definitely going to watch every golf tournament for the rest of this year. You know, as long as I'm, you know, have the capability, I'm going to, I'm not going to miss a major round this year. Whether or not that'll last, I don't know. Whether or not I'm a good test case for the general public, I don't know. But, I mean, I I am more interested in golf right now than I ever thought I would be before. And I a lot of that is because I feel like I need to because you like it so much. We got to talk about it on this podcast. But a lot of it is just I, just I just like watching it. And I think probably at least half of it is what we saw this weekend. I mean, it's it, we keep saying it's incredible. It's iconic. It's memorable but there's just no other words for it you're right i mean listen i i love playing playing golf is awesome and like so many of us we love playing golf and if you enjoyed this tournament i would urge you to um you know just turn it on on a sunday afternoon like i don't I hardly ever watch thursday and friday events of regular pga tour stops like there's not that much on the line um, there's honestly not that interesting, but you get to Sunday and you've got a group of guys trying to win just like this weekend. Yeah. The stakes are lower. Yeah. Tiger may not be pushing, but it's still a whole lot of fun. Um, and yeah, follow a podcast you like knowing up, go follow them. They're great. Um, just to, you know, keep you involved and, um, Tanya, it's great. Leave us voicemails so, about your experience. Yes, Absolutely. Um, well, we did. A, yeah, that's all I had on golf. We did a full hour on golf, which I never thought we would do. Are there, is there anything else? I feel like, well, this is going to be the Masters podcast. But is there anything else we need to talk about before we get out of here? Because we are already at an hour, which is like halfway through our normal podcast length. But hey, you know, maybe we're trying to keep these a little tighter. Who knows? Um, do we need to talk about anything golf-wise or in general? I mean, I'm out of golf topics, I think. Unless you've got anything else... I think we've pretty much exhausted golf as far as me being able to reliably contribute to the conversation. Let's talk Preds. Okay. Um, Preds are 
in the in the middle of their first round series against the Stars, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of away um, from the noise here down in Florida. You're sort of in the thick of it, so I just want to get your take on sort of the the pulse um, of Nashville, the pulse of Tennessee right now with with the Preds going through this. Your your ears to the ground. Um, sort of what's the vibe like? The vibe that I get just from watching the games and talking to people that are Preds fans is one of frustration, I think, because this fan base knows how good that team is. We saw them go all the way to the Stanley Cup two years ago. We saw them win the President's Trophy last year as the best regular season team. And it's basically the same guys. And they just haven't been able to put it together. They, they got hot at the end of the season. They won the division, whatever that means in hockey. They changed the hockey playoff rules every year. I can't keep up. It just feels like they're going to lose in the first round of this series. And I don't know why. My question I was going to ask you is, are the Predators still going to be in the playoffs when we pod next week? Because I kind of <laughs> don't think they will be. And it's so frustrating because you come out in game one and they absolutely dominate the first period, yet they... I think they were up one one to nothing maybe at the end of the first period. And then Dallas comes out and runs them off the ice the next two periods. They're clearly the better team. The game two, the Predators are the best team from the beginning all the way through overtime. Dominate possession of the puck. They're just you can you can really tell when you watch hockey what team is playing the best just based on who's got the puck, who's initiating all the action. And the Predators were in control of that entire game. Yet it was still 1-1, to and it went to overtime, and if one bad bounce, the Predators could have been down 2-0. I feel like the Predators are better than the Stars, and I feel like they're going to lose in like five or six games. And I, it's frustrating, and everyone, it seems like everyone around here is just frustrated because this team should be so much better than they are. They should be so much more dominant than they are. And I don't know how it's going to play out, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel optimistic. And maybe that's just me being the eternal pessimist, I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm picking up. Well, I think it's it's so in basketball, right? Like the Warriors, the Warriors, even if they play pretty badly, they have such a large gap between them and the Clippers that like there's they're going to win the series, right? Like the Bucks are going to win their series. Like there's no question about it, right? right? I mean, barring something crazy happening, but in hockey, stuff's a lot. Closer, like I mean, look at the look at the lightning. Lightning almost—they're gonna lose. They're down three. Almost, yeah, but they almost had the most points ever in an NHL season, and they're gonna lose in the first round probably. So it's you, you can't just float through a, a a series where you know you're not that much better than another team. And the Preds have had trouble all year long, especially on the power play. And I just I think it's pretty bleak. You know, you never know. Um, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, this team sort of uh, gone through roller coasters of, you know, coming up, bursting onto the scene and the fans getting behind them. And the fans are still behind them, but it's not happy-go-lucky anymore. It's like, we want to win, you know? And so, um, you know, everybody's been to Bridgestone or, you know, where you stand up and clap for 10 minutes, um, you know? And, and I think the fans are still in it as much as they've always been, but it's not like an intense drive. It's more of a worry. Um, so, you know, I, I honestly would, would, um, you know, not be shocked at all if, if next time we pod, you know, they're, they're out of the postseason. um, would not be shocked one bit. I really hope that 
that that's not the case. I hope that they come they, for full disclosure that puck drops in about an hour and a half on game three. So we'll know a lot more by the time this pod posts, but I really hope that they come out tonight and they assert their dominance and they, you know, put the stars away here over the course of the next week. But if they don't, and if they keep playing like they've been playing, you know, completely terribly on the power play, inability to consistently produce goals and they go out in the first round, it'll be really interesting to see what direction the franchise goes in. And I don't know, just, just to be honest, I don't know enough about the culture of hockey or even the culture of the predators to know what they'll do next. But it seems like in the other sports that I follow, that if you're in this same situation where you've had one of the best teams in the league for three years and you're just struggling and you lose in the second round and then you lose in the first round the next year, you're going the wrong way. It would seem to me like changes would be coming. Now, I don't know if that's what they do and neither of us are the authorities on that or really have any, anything insightful to say on it, but it would be really interesting to see the next steps if the Predators can't pull this series out. And I really, like I said, I really hope they do. Nothing is more fun than a playoff run. Nothing is more terrifying than a playoff run, but I'm not super optimistic, which will shock all of our listeners that I'm not optimistic, but I'm not. Yeah. Well, I feel the same way and I'm usually pretty optimistic. So <laughs> that's not, it's not great. The balance, right? Yeah. Um, Soccer? Anything soccer? Not a ton. I mean, there is a ton, but not a ton we're going to get into. Um, Manchester City and Liverpool both won their Premier League games this weekend, holding serve. Um, City's still up by – technically Liverpool's ahead, but City's got a game in hand, so City's still ahead. If City wins the rest of their games, they're going to win. I think my quick take on it is I just have a feeling that City's going to lose a game and Liverpool's going to win. If you look at their their schedules for the rest of the season – Manchester City's still got to play Man United. They've still got to play Tottenham. they got a couple more tough games in there, whereas when you look at Liverpool, if Liverpool loses a game for the rest of the season, it will be a big upset. I mean, they're going to be substantially favored to win every game, not only not lose but win. And I think City could drop could drop a point somewhere. They could, they could have a draw. They might even lose one of those games. Um, that's based on not a lot other than just looking at at least two tough games City have to play that Liverpool don't. So that's all I have to say on yeah. that. that. Yeah. The other thing that kind of throws a wrench into it is the Champions League is going on right now. And Manchester City actually lost a Champions League game last week while we were recording to Tottenham. And then they're going to play Tottenham again in the Champions League, I think tomorrow or Wednesday um, in the second leg of that. So if they don't if they don't come back from their 1-0 deficit to beat Tottenham, they'll be out of the Champions League, which may benefit them in the premier league who knows you know you don't have to play these midweek games your squad's fresher you don't have to rotate as much maybe that's a good thing but the interesting part to that is that'll be the second time they play tottenham in a week obviously for two legs of the champions league then they've got tottenham again next weekend in the premier league so they'll play three times in a week and a half with that premier league game being huge i mean huge implications for the title race because if city are able to get by tottenham in that premier league game then I think the odds really shift to them winning the whole thing. So if you're interested in soccer at all, this is a great time of year to watch soccer. Watch the Champions League tomorrow. It'll be on TNT. Record it. Watch it when you get home from work. It's what I do. It's great. Um, But, yeah, super interesting. And watch it. Leave us a voicemail. Let me know what you think. I don't know. That's that's all the soccer I've got. Is there anything baseball we need to talk about? I mean, baseball's up and running. 
Um, besides Tyler Flowers being the best catcher alive. How deep do you want to go into Tyler Flowers' framing style? Because, I mean, we can get in the weeds if you want to. Um, yeah, not that deep. I don't have enough <laughs> to back it up. But, um, yeah, he's great as a pitcher. I love that. Um, Dansby Swanson's good now. Go Braves. He's good for now. Good for now. Do you want to talk about the Ozzy Albies extension? Because we – we talked a little bit about Acuna and Trout, and then Albies is just like, look out, guys. I'm going to come in here at, you know, maybe the worst player extension of all time. Do you want to talk about that? I w- <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was funny. Somebody tweeted that they offered him the same contract on MLB The Show, and he, like, he wouldn't accept it except for, like, $25 more million <laughs> or something crazy like that. The, um, it was crazy because, like, the news broke that he had signed an extension before – the news of what the extension was came out. So I'm thinking in my head, like Acuna just signed a hundred million dollars. Ozzy's obviously not as good as Acuna. So I'm thinking, Oh, he's probably going to get like 55 or 60 and then 35 was insane. I mean, good for him. You know, we, we talked about extensions a couple pods ago. He's, he's set for life, but it is probably way less. He probably gave up a lot of money in it, but you know, there's not a lot of, I don't know. There's not a lot to be said because it's his decision. It's the decision he made. So, I'm not. I'm not going right, to sit here yeah. and criticize him for for taking that money. I mean, I yeah, I agree. Like he, at the end of the day, he's going to be set him his family for life. So like, yeah, it's not a hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's not sixty million dollars, but it's all you know, a lot more money than I have in my bank account. So <laughs> right, good on him. Good on him. Um, the Buckos are doing pretty good. Beat Scherzer, J-Mo outdoed Scherzer on Sunday. Great to see. You guys started any fights um, lately? Not that I'm aware no, of. That was, that um, was at least that weren't at, at least that weren't instigated. <laughs> yeah. So okay, before um, before we get others. out of here, we have a a um, a game. I I challenge you um, to a trivia contest that you encourage me to challenge you to. So you've thrown down the gauntlet. You've said that you were going to ace this trivia contest. I'll lay it down for the listeners. So Austin has said pre-pod that he knows off the top of his head every pga tour tournament winner to date this calendar year so that's there's a tournament correct me if i'm wrong there's a tournament pretty much every weekend from january till now and you are going to name the winners of every tournament do i have that accurate i'm gonna try there's a couple of them that are sketchy um but you know i'm gonna I'm gonna try my best. So if you so, if you want to play along at home, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna call out the name of the tournament and the location of the tournament, and obviously the dates that it happened. If you're playing with us at home, pause the podcast right there, rack your little brain, see how many golfers you can come up with that aren't named Tiger Woods. Because I'll give you a hint: this is the first tournament Tiger's won yet this year. Was this Masters? So that's gonna be the only answer that's Tiger. And then you know, hit play and listen to Austin tell you the right answer. All right, so you got to give me you give me two shots at everyone, um, and after two, just give me the answer because I'm not going to sit here and guess all day long. Okay, so this will be this, yeah, this will be good radio. And if you don't have any interest in this, this is the last thing we're going to talk about on this week's podcast. So there you go, full disclosure. So starting off, January, starting the first weekend of January, the third through the sixth, the Century Tournament of Champions in Maui, Hawaii, was won by. Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley. Ding! One for one. All right. January 10th through the 13th, the Sony Open in Honolulu, Hawaii, was won by... Kuchar. Your favorite and my favorite, Matt Kuchar. 
January 17th through the 20th, the Desert Classic in La Quinta, California, which I have never heard of any of those things other than California, was won by. This is this one and um, the Phoenix Open are going to give me issues. Was it Fowler? <laughs> it was not Fowler. He won. Was it Rom? It was not Rom. It was a person named Adam Long, who I have never heard. Adam of. Long, never heard of him, but he Adam Long. He, that is who won. He it. pocketed a cool million winning that tournament. I'd never heard of. So good for him. Okay, two for three. Two, two for two three. For three. January twenty fourth through the twenty seventh, the Farmers Insurance Open in San Diego. That was Fowler. It was not Fowler. Where, what do you, do you know? What course this was played at? Tory Pines. Tory Pines. Tory Pines. This that was Rose. It was Justin Rose. He pulled it out. He pulled it out. Three for four. It's impressive. All right, January thirty first. I'm going to keep guessing Fowler because I know he won one of these deals. January thirty first through February third, waste management in Phoenix, at oh, TPC no. Scottsdale. feel like somebody won this that I – was it Gary Woodland? was not Gary Woodland. Oh. <laughs> um. Man, I'm doing worse on this than I thought I was. There's more tournaments than I thought there was. You've only I haven't, I've not looked through – I haven't looked through all of these. There's a lot of um, tournaments every weekend. I'm going to say Jason Day. Oh, you're going to be so mad. It was Ricky Fowler. <laughs> that was the that one Fowler one? Yeah. No. Oh, this is good radio. I love it. All right. February 7th through the 10th, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Phil, Phil won that. No, it, was actually, uh, it was actually Tony Romo. No, it was Phil. You're right. <laughs> All right. February 14th through the 17th, the Genesis Open at Rivera Country yeah. Club. Yeah, that was the one. That's the one I thought Fowler won. So, no. oh my gosh, um, we're getting into territory where I'd be really impressed if you got these next couple. So you missed two so far, which is pretty good. I've missed two so far. Um, is this a well-known guy? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of him, but. Yeah, he's. I wouldn't say he's one of the ten most well-known golfers in the world. I, I have heard of him. I wouldn't recognize him if he walked in the door. Was it Leishman? No, no. He's in the Leishman class in my mind, which may not mean anything to you. May completely throw you off. Maybe inaccurate, but Brandon Grace. No, JB Holmes. That's right. He took forever <laughs> to play the last one. I knew that. All right. Uh, I'll be real impressed if you get this one. The Puerto Rico Open. Uh, the Puerto Rico Open? Yeah, which is a thing, was, apparently. No, that was the same week as the um, It was the, the same WGC week Mexico. as the Mexico. Okay, so yeah, forget about the and Puerto that, Rico Open. So that was DJ. DJ won the Mexico Championship, correct. The All right, the next weekend here, the Honda Classic, Palm Beach. PJ Nash. 
I have never heard. That was of. Keith Mitchell. Yeah, so Keith Mitchell won that. I've never heard He's of He's from Chattanooga. Yeah, good for him. I've never heard of that guy. I think we I think we, I've got the rest. Uh, we pot- I think I've we, got the rest in the back. We potted that week because you talked about the the uh the Chattanooga guy winning. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm back. All right. March seventh, Arnold Palmer invitational at Bay Hill. The robot Molinari. The the Italian robot, Francesco Molinari. The players, Sawgrass. Rory. Your boy Rory. Valspar at Innsbruck Paul Resort. Paul Casey. Paul Casey would not have got that one. And Paul Casey shot like at 81 on on Thursday at the Masters. Yeah, didn't make the cut. Uh, the WGC match play. I w- We've officially reached the territory where I would have got these right. Kisner. Uh, just kidding, because I did not know who won the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Country Club Championship on March 28th through the 31st. Same weekend as the WGC. That was the same. Yeah. I have no idea who won. Graham that. McDowell. Does it, oh, that's right. Yeah. You did win that. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. And the week before. Blast from the past. Last week, the Valero Texas Open, which I watched actually. Corey Connors. I watched a lot of that. I did not know Corey Connors won. Don't know who that is. And he, oh, go ahead. So he was a he was a Monday qualifier. He was in a six man playoff in the Monday qualifier. Won the playoff. Went on to win the whatever wherever the Dallas whatever and. Got an invite to the Masters. Got the last invite to the Masters. So good on him. Did he make, Canadian. Did, there you go. Did he make the Corey cut? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody. He finished T46. Everybody made the cut except for Paul Casey. Uh, and then and Justin Rose. <laughs> number one golfer in the world didn't make the cut, which we probably should have talked about Tough. that too. The number one golfer in the world didn't make the cut on an absolutely loaded leaderboard that had everyone else on it. But, yeah, it's beside the point. And uh, the Masters was won by Eldrick Tiger Woods. But you all knew that, uh, correct? All right. Correct. Now you want to you want to um, jump this forward. Who's going to win the RBC Heritage next week? DJ. <laughs> Is DJ I, playing? I, it? I know, I I know DJ and I know Spieth are playing it. So I'm going to pick DJ. I'll take Spieth. Put it on the board. There you go. All right. Um, let's get, cool. Let's get yeah. out of here. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you as always for listening to us. Please give us some calls and some voicemails. Like I said, we got some on deck. Um, we need about two more probably until we until we until we can uh, form a full length with pod. These. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're not going to post any mini pods. So um, call us or you know tweet at us any way to interact. Uh, we'd love to do a, do a pod on it. So um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Peace.